Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. So last week we started a new series and we called it Rock Solid. And last week I taught a message from the end of Mark chapter 7, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, which is the, at the end of what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it was about two men that set out to build a house but that had, although they had some similarities, that they both wanted to build a house, they both heard the same message, they both endured a storm. At the end of the day, after the storm, one man, called the wise man, <laughs> like that's a picture of me taking that note off my windshield. <laughs> All right. Ah, oh, boy. You guys are, it's just, it's a good thing I love you. So, whoever did that. Obviously, this was more than just a, just a anonymous spirit, yeah. I feel like a prophet probably said something about that. All right, where were we? You guys just want to go home or do you want some teaching today? I'm good. At this point, I'm just, huh? Yeah, it's a good thing you love me. At this point, I'm about ready to go home. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get into the Word. So the, uh, so the wise man is the one that built his house on the rock, and when the storm came, his house stood, and the foolish man obviously was the one that didn't, and when the storm came, his house fell, and it said great was his fall. So we want to take some teachings over the next few weeks that uh, myself and Pastor Jay are going to take, and from the Sermon on the Mount, things that we can use to build a firm foundation. And we said to build a house represents to build a life. So that God wants you to have a solid life. He wants you to be able to withstand when things come, and that in the end, he wants you to be still standing and uh, stronger and better for it. So... Um, the message today, I want, to, I want to call it, Don't Worry or Do Not Worry. It's from Matthew chapter 25. Oh gosh, I can't even get my scripture right today. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 25 through 34. But before you turn there, I just want to talk a little bit about worry. So, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, I think it's Philippians 4, 6, he says, Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So we have these instructions in the Bible to not worry. But why shouldn't we worry? Because i got to admit, I kind of like to worry about stuff. I mean, some people just have this habit of worrying. Like, what do we call them? A worry wart, right? Some people are just naturally worried. They worry about everything. But worry, we're told not to do it. But really, in this passage in Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus tells us why not to do it. And when we look at the word worry, I'm going to pull it up. I just want to just kind of break it down for you initially before we start and just talk about the reason that worry works against building a strong house. So if we're looking at building a life, building a firm foundation, worry actually works against that. So if you look at the word worry, let's go to the first slide. The word worry means to take thought, to be anxious about, to have a distracting care. So do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? It said that, that uh, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching, 
And it said Martha was distracted about many things. And Jesus said, hey, Mary shows the better thing, but you are distracted and troubled about many things. And that word, it's the same word, worried. You have a lot of cares. They're distracting you. And I put up here only because it, it, I think it's important that the word worry in the Greek comes from the root word merizo, which means to divide or separate. Worry comes from the root word, which means to divide or to separate. So if you think about when Jesus was, they're accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub or the prince of demons. Do you remember that passage? So if you want to look it up, Mark chapter 3 is one. But Jesus basically says that if Satan cast out Satan, a kingdom, a kingdom divided against itself cannot what? Stand. Then he goes on to say, a house divided cannot what? Stand. So if you take that and apply it to what we're talking about, building a house, a divided house can't what? Stand. If worry comes from the root word to be divided or distracted, it doesn't do a good job helping you build a firm foundation because it causes your mind to be divided. It causes you to be distracted. I actually like on the next slide, the, new, the Passion Translation says it this way. It says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. So here's what worry does. We think, you know, oh, I'm just like running through my head, all the scenarios. Anybody ever play the what if game? Well, what if this? Well, that gives you, it's like when I was a kid, there was these books, choose your own ending. And you're like, okay, you go to page 37 or 52. And then you get there and then it's page 75 or, or 26. And you could pick your own ending. And we do this when we get into the middle of a situation, we begin to worry and like, well, what if this? Oh, well then, well then what if this? And then what if this? And the next thing you know, God's plan for you is this, and this worry has divided you. It's taken you off course. It, it's, it's put you on a different path than the one that God actually wants you to be on. And when that happens, your house is not going to be solid. Foundation is going to be weak. So worry will distract you, divide your attention. It will actually draw you or put you into another direction. So we want to stay on the direction God is giving us. All right, so with that as the backdrop, let's just go to the next slide. I want to read for you. Uh, let's read this passage. And uh, you guys got your seatbelts on today? Because we're going to have to go a little quick. I, don't, I won't keep you here forever. But I do want to. So there's three things. Three things in Matthew chapter 6 in these verses. Here's what. So as we're thinking about worry, and you got to admit, is there anybody here that hasn't worried about something over the last 12 months? Right? There's been a lot to worry about. I mean, we, I guarantee you, at some point in time, everybody here was worried about getting the coronavirus. But we're not supposed to worry. People worried about the economy. A lot of people worried about their finances, worried about our jobs. Worry about, you know, where's the spouse God promised me? Where, where's the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with? Worried about what our kids are doing or what they're not doing. Worry is something that all of us walk into, but we shouldn't. So in this passage, there's three questions. 
that will really help you evaluate and kind of like, I'll just say, call, call worry out. So here's the three questions. What am I seeing? I'll go ahead and give them to you now. What am I seeing? What am I saying? And what am I seeking? What am I seeing has to do with worth? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So what am I seeing has to do with worth? What am I saying has to do with my words? And what am I seeking has to do with my wants? So your worth, what am I seeing? Your words, what am I saying? And your wants, what am I seeking? And actually it'll be more like, why am I seeking what I'm seeking? So let's just read this, and we'll just make a few points. Verse 25 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think we're behind a few slides. Father, I just thank you today for your word. We just pray that it would go forth, that it would be planted in good soil, and we know that it will bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's go ahead. Next slide to the end of that passage. All right, so first of all, when, so what am I seeing? And here's where I want to talk about value. So when Jesus says, in this passage, he tells us to look at two different things. And it's not so much what we're seeing with our physical eyes that he wants us to be aware of, that will help us not to worry, but what we see with our spiritual eyes. But what he does, a lot of times, Jesus will point us to a physical reality that will really bear witness to a spiritual truth. And that's what he's doing here. He tells us to look at two things. He says, I want you to look at the birds, and I want you to look at the flowers. So why would he say that? So a lot of times we look at this verse, and it says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they? So a lot of people read this and like, okay, I don't have to work. <laughs> this is the verse I was looking for. I can be lazy. I don't have to plant. I don't have to sow. I don't have to reap. God will provide. That doesn't agree with other scripture. So if you pulled that out and you try to develop a theology about why it's God's will for you not to work, this isn't the one. Because he also says whoever won't provide for his house is less than an infidel. So you can, you can apply that one too. If a man won't work, don't let him eat. So it doesn't, so along that line, it doesn't mean if you need help, there's not a time that we all need help. I get it. But 
This is not saying that you can just be lazy and not work and God will provide you need. That's not the point he's trying to make here. He's saying, hey, look at the birds. Look at these little sparrows. They don't plant. They don't reap. They don't store in barns. And I take care of them. The point is this. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Don't you have more worth than they do? So the point he's trying to make is, if I take care of a bird that's virtually worthless, won't I take care of you? Don't you have more value? Don't you know how much your value is? So what establishes value? What establishes worth? Worth or value is established by what somebody's willing to pay. If, if, if you come to me and trade in a car, I can look it up in a book. I can say, okay, you got a 1985 sled. No. You got a 2016 Silverado. It's four-wheel drive. It's got uh, eight-cylinder, whatever. And I can give you an idea. I can tell you approximately what that truck's worth. I don't know really what it's worth till I take it to an auction, and I've got people bidding on it. And the day that they are willing to put their money on the table and pay for it, at that point I know what that truck is really worth. If you go to any auction, you can watch, what were we watching the other night? Uh, Antique Roadshow. I hate that show, by the way. <laughs> That's right up there with the Hallmark movies at Christmas for me. If it's not bad enough, there's one channel, 75, they now have two channels, 75 and 76. Get your fill of that. So, you know, the Antiques Roadshow is saying, well, this could be worth, you know, for, at auction, 3000 to 5000 Well, we don't know until it actually goes to auction, somebody pays for it. So when you're looking at birds, birds are really insignificant. If you look at Matthew, the next, Matthew chapter uh, uh, 10, the next uh, slide, it says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, but none of them fall to the ground except your father knows about it and cares for them. Your hairs of your head are numbered. You're worth way more than many sparrows. Well, hey, doesn't it feel good to know that you're worth some, more than something that cost half a penny? <laughs> That's just the kind of encouragement I wanted today. You know, that two sparrows, you can buy them for a penny. You're worth more than a bunch of sparrows. Oh, wow, that's great. And if you look at Luke's version of this, it says uh, five, four sparrows, I'm sorry, five sparrows are sold for two pennies. So these things are so cheap that you can buy two for a penny, and if you buy two pair, we'll throw one in for free. You can get five for two cents. They're, they're worthless. But here's the thing. Or if you, I looked this up, but Phil, you can fact check me on this. The most expensive bird that was ever sold, November 2020, which was just a few months ago, a Belgium racing pigeon sold for $1.9 million. A bird! Well, it was purchased in euros, but it, it was equivalent of 1.9 million US dollars. You almost would have had to hit that billion dollar lottery. Anybody did win that? I'm just, you know, we always do believe in tithing. I just want to, <laughs> just want to mention that. And if you can't calculate the tithe on a billion, it's a hundred million. Just let me help you out. Just in case, in case you were just wondering about that. And under the new covenant, we believe tithe is where you start, not where you finish. So, 
So I'll plug that. Yeah, eight zeros, as Jay said. So Jesus says that you're more valuable than a bird. I want you to look at the bird to get a point of reference. But your value is established by what somebody was willing to pay for you. Your value is not established by, the, by what you do for your profession. Your, job, your value is not established by how much money you earn, by what you acquire, what you do, who you're connected to, who, who you're associated with. None of those have anything to do with what your value is. Your value is established by what someone was willing to pay for you. I want you look look in Matthew chapter 13. So here's one of the Jesus' parables. And people, let me just read the first verse. This is verses 44 through 46. Verse 44 has to do with treasure. Verses 45 and 46 have to do with uh, pearls. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So a lot of times people misinterpret this parable, and they say, you know what? Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field. And if you want to follow Jesus, then you need to sell everything you have and go after him. It's the same. Because you don't have enough money to buy Jesus. You can't deny yourself enough to buy Jesus. You can't carry your cross fast enough to buy Jesus. There's a thing in Scripture called expositional constancy, which means that if something represents one thing in one parable, it represents that in another parable. We know from the parable of the sower and the seed that the field is the world. So if the field is the world in one, the field is the world in another. The man is represented by Jesus. Jesus came to the earth as a man. It says that a man goes and finds a treasure in a field. He hides it, goes and sells all that he has, not just so he can buy the treasure, but so he can buy what? The whole world. See, God loved you so much. God wanted a relationship with you so much. God values you so much. He was willing to give up His Son, not just to buy you, but to make an overpayment and buy the entire world just to get you. Peter said that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the incorruptible, the perfect, spotless blood of the Lamb of God. That God gave up all that He had. Jesus was all that He had. He gave up Jesus to buy you. And if you ever wonder, how much am I worth? You're worth Jesus. That's how God looks at you. And if you ever wonder, do I have to worry about this? Can can God handle this? He already gave everything to buy you. If you look at the next verse, it says... It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls of finding how many? Just one pearl of great price. What did he do? He went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
See, the great thing is that Jesus purchased, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loved you so much that He bought the whole field. And when He bought the field, He bought everything in the field. He bought your past. He bought your baggage. He bought your sin. He bought your shame. He bought everything when He bought the field because He, he bought the whole thing. And if there was only one pearl there, He still would have done it. See, Jesus would have still sacrificed Himself if you were the only person. Thank God He bought the whole world. Thank God He didn't pick and choose. But if there had only been one, He still would have done it just for you. Because that's what you're worth. So when you look at a situation and you think... I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how I can get through this. I don't understand it. The first thing you need to do is you need to see yourself the way God sees you. I need to look at me that I'm worth something because God gave up Jesus for me. And it says, as I said earlier, if, if God spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? I don't have to worry about everything else. I've already been given the greatest gift of all. That should be demonstration enough of what God thinks of me. What am I seeing? He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They're insignificant, but you're worth way more than the birds. You have infinite value. Don't ever let somebody talk you out of your value and your worth. Because to God, you're like, you're like the, that, that credit card commercial. Priceless. I can't even think what it is. I just remember the punchline. Priceless. So the second thing I want you to look at, I want you to look at the flowers. It says, look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are, say this, here today, gone tomorrow. Here today, gone tomorrow. So the first thing we're looking at at birds, which are of insignificant value, and you're of much greater value than they are. Now we're looking at something in the natural realm that has a relatively short life. Here today, gone tomorrow. And he says, if God clothes the flowers, the lilies of the field, to the point where they're arrayed better than Solomon was, if he takes that much concern over something that's here today, gone tomorrow, how much more will he take care of you? See, not only do you have infinite value, you have eternal value. See, you're not just something that somebody buys today and throws away tomorrow. God's not buying you just so he can have a relationship with you for a month, a year, 20 years, the rest of your life. It's not like when you buy something and it depreciates over time. 
God buys you, pays the most for you, and keeps you for eternity. So not only does he value you way more than the birds, you have infinite value, but you have an eternal value. That if God can take care of something that only lasts for a day, two days, maybe a flower lasts for a season, and if he puts that much care into a flower, how much more will he care for you that are going to spend eternity with him? See, what happens when problems come into our life, situations come into our life, we take a flower view of the situation. We're looking at how it's going to affect us tomorrow, next week, next year, the season we're in. God looks beyond the season. God looks into eternity. Now, I have a very small view of eternity. I've had a little bit more view than some of you here. Not as much as Dawn, but more than most. <laughs> but I, I can tell you this. Any difficult season, any difficult situation I ever went through, when I look back at it now, it's like, nah, that wasn't that bad. I can tell you that from experience. Because when you're in the midst of it, you think, this thing's going to kill me. This thing's going to destroy me. This thing's going to ruin me. I'll never recover. I'll never come back. I'll never be restored. And then 20 years later, after all that comes to be, you're like, eh, that wasn't that bad. See, but we take this view of tomorrow, here today, gone tomorrow. God looks eternally. So what we have to do when we hit a situation, we have to think of the situation with an eternal point of view. I have to weigh this situation, this thing I'm going through, whether it's health, whether it's the economy, whether it's the job that I don't have or the one I'm trying to get, whether it's the spouse. What is the importance of this in light of eternity? In light of eternity, is this a big deal? What's Paul say? He says, if you can see it, it's temporal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, the things that we see are what? Temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. So God says, I want you to look at this temporal thing, but I don't want you to stay there. I want you to use that as, a, as, a, as somewhere to move from that realize if I take care of this thing that's temporal, we're eternal, we're living with Him forever, how much more will He take care of you? A whole lot more. A whole lot more. Bow your head. I stop right here. Come back next week for part two. Just feel like there's some people here today that don't know their value. See, when not that understanding who we are in Christ, not from the point of being arrogant. But when you don't understand your value, you think you don't deserve anything. 
And at the end of the day, none of us deserve anything in and of ourselves, but because of Jesus, he's already provided everything for us. I guess I just want to tell you today that if you're worried about anything, Jesus loves you. God paid the ultimate price for you. God purchased the entire world with his son's blood for you. God wants to spend eternity with you. He really does. So I just want to ask you today, do you know if you'll spend eternity with Jesus? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity. I want you to, if you don't know Jesus, I'd like you just to stand up where you are in your chair right now. I just want you to stand up. Say, I, I don't know if I was to die, that I would go to heaven. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. If that's you, I want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. If you're here, you don't want to stand up, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. You can pray this. Father, I thank you for the payment Jesus has made for me. If you're online and you want to pray this, I thank you that I matter to you. I thank you that you value me. I thank you that no matter what I've done, no matter what sin I've committed, you've already forgiven me of it. And I receive the payment you paid for me. And I receive you as my Savior in Jesus' name. You prayed that minute. You're a new creation. So for everybody else, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? Are you letting the issues of today bog you down? Are you distracted? Are you divided? Are you getting off track? because you're getting so far afield of what's going on in the news or what's going on in the world or what's going on at your job or what's going on in your marriage or what's going on in your family that you started out trusting God but now all of a sudden you've let these things divide your attention you just got to know that God God values you we sang earlier, God's for you. You don't have to worry, is God mad at me? Is God going to punish me? No, he punished Jesus. He punished Jesus. Payment's already been made. He's got nothing but good for you. Let me just pray you, bless you out. Father, I thank you that we matter to you. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that you've blessed us, past tense, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Lord, that you've already done it. 
You've already paid for it. You've already demonstrated. It says that you demonstrated your love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we'd never have to question your love for us, your thoughts toward us, your plans for us, your feelings about us. They're always good. Lord, let us remember today and this week, no matter what we face, you've got our back. You're for us. In Jesus' name, amen.